Welcome back to Institutionalized, a podcast about American institutions and why they've gone crazy. I'm Charles Fain Lehman, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, contributing editor of City Journal. I'm Aaron Samarium, a reporter at the Washington Free Beacon. And Aaron, how are you this week? I'm good. Uh, I'm a little frustrated with Google, though, for two reasons. One uh, is that... Your articles, they're coming after you. Well, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Well, so what the uh, first reason is that when we go to start these podcasts, we always send a Zoom link. And Google has been playing this game where, you know, when we set up a link on Google Calendar, yeah, it like will send a link to Google Meets, not to Zoom. And this confuses guests and creates all these unnecessary delays. And it's really annoying. They try to induce you to use your product, even their product, even when you don't want to. It's very bad. The other reason I'm mildly Dark annoyed UX. with them is that, is that, yeah, is that they are engaging in blatant race discrimination through a fellowship uh, application and have effectively have effectively induced every university in the United States to discriminate on the basis of race. We, uh, keep, uh, we, nominations. Keep, we keep recording these like right after you publish an article and then, yeah. and then like two weeks later. So listeners in the future, go back and read Aaron's reporting on this topic. Well, it's it's but it's very but it's, you know. It's a big problem and it's very, and it, and it has me very angry, you know, and part Hearing of what's voice, disturbing about it is Disgusting. it's not, it's not just, it's not just Google. It's not just Google. It's all sorts of different institutions, some of which will probably be surfaced in the next couple of days. But in any case, you know, it, it, it's gotten me, now I like play this game. It's gotten to the point where I play this game where I'm like, what's the next big company that's going to blatantly racially discriminate? What's the next big <laughs> You know, medical bureaucracy that's going to ration monoclonal antibodies based on race. You know, and, you want to make and money it's like a fun little prediction. prediction game. And yes, you know, it's 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 interesting. I've always thought, you know, what if I could monetize my? Because <laughs> it's actually great. Because if you if you predict that a big institution will racially discriminate, you're almost certainly right. So it's it would be very easy to win these bets. Anyway, we, uh, our, our girls, uh, what not- are we? Ask about this. So he has no opinions well, on this topic. Well, yes, yes, of course he does not. But but Charles, so, so what are we going to be talking about today? We're talking, Aaron, about prediction markets. What is a prediction market? A prediction market is just what it sounds like. It's a market on where participants bet on the measurable, resolvable outcome of some question. For example, who will win the 2024 presidential election? Or what will Aaron eat for lunch tomorrow? Prediction markets are not new. The first political bests were placed in the 1500s. Arguably, the first prediction markets, electronic prediction markets, came about in, I think, the president's election, either 84 or 88. But they are flowering thanks to the internet and then more recently, the use of cryptocurrency for betting. Prediction markets offer a test of our understanding of markets as a method for aggregating, concentrating information. Can markets really predict the future? When we talk about the value of this of, of stock as the discounted value of all future cash flows, the net present value of all future cash flows, we're, we're making clear about markets to discover information, prediction markets distill that function and expand it to a variety of applications. So like, do are, are do, they, do they work? At the same time, prediction markets have also faced a wide variety of regulatory scrutiny. Maybe they're just gambling. Maybe they aren't legitimate at all. And the subject is some controversy as well. Is it really okay to bet on every topic? Is it really okay to bet on whether or not something will be subject to a terrorist attack? You know, I think I think the bottom line, many of our many of our listeners may be something like predict it. In my view, prediction markets are super interesting, cool tools for measuring possible outcomes for measuring how how sort of smart people think about what's likely to happen. But we're interested in sort of I, I think they're likely to spread, but we're interested in how, how we should think about them as sort of nascent institutions. Aaron, Aaron, what's your what's your take? What's your take on this week's topic? You know, I don't know that much about or understand the in-depth mechanisms of prediction markets. But I think for this podcast, I'm going to I'm going to momentarily jettison my Jewish heritage and become a critic of usury and speculation and and try to raise a number of endogeneity problems and potential concerns about these things you know i do think that they're very interesting but my what one thought i i have is that you know a lot of social science and also a lot of markets themselves sort of reshape the social reality 
that they are are measuring or analyzing. And my 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 thought, and I'm just curious what my our guest thinks about this, is sort of the potential for prediction markets to, uh, you know, almost either create self fulfilling prophecies or do other weird things to the the kind of underlying social substrate that they're meant to be making judgments about. Again, I don't actually know economics well enough to have any sense of whether this kind of concern is valid or if it's just totally bogus. Guest job but, to educate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's his job to educate us, right? But but you know, I think that any any time there's there's talk about prediction, that's always kind of where my brain goes. How will the process of prediction itself shape the underlying matter that is being predicted? I will just, before I introduce our guest, I'll just add to that, that part of my interest today is, is thinking about prediction markets as part of a, as, 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 as a policy tool, both as a policy measuring tool, but also as a policy making tool. You know, in a, in a democracy, we think a lot about who, who are the best people to rule, who are the smartest people to rule. And I think concurrent with the emerging popularity of prediction markets is this idea of some people are better at predicting the future than others. Some people are quote unquote super forecasters, allegedly Phil Tetlock's language, some people may be uniquely well equipped to to predict outcomes. And I think there were questions about, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we were talking about the wisdom of crowds, how the internet would decentralize and democratize governance. And prediction markets look sort of like an interesting balance of, of you know, the, the, the great possibility of rule by markets, of decision making by, by polling the public, not one person, one vote, but prioritizing people with interests and investment, but also people with knowledge. I'm, 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 I'm interested in thinking about that. Maybe they're, maybe they're unwarranted techno optimism. I don't know. Our guest is a great person to talk to about this. Before we get to him, first, we're going to briefly have a word from our sponsors. From the grocery store to the gas station, Working families are getting hammered by rising prices. But instead of focusing on inflation, Congress is pushing anti-innovation legislation that will impose more financial burdens on working people and seniors. Their misguided agenda could cost public pension plans $109 billion. Teachers, firefighters, and nurses would pay the heaviest price. Congress needs to focus on inflation and leave American workers alone. And we're back. Our guest, a great guy to talk about all of the topics and more with. I'm pleased to welcome to Institutionalized Stephen Gett. He's the co-founder of Manifold Market, a play money prediction market where users can create a market on any topic they choose. It's at manifold.market, I think. Stephen, welcome to Institutionalized. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to talk about prediction markets and everything related to them. So we like to start with a little bit of a provocative question. Recently, the longstanding betting market predicted, which is a politics, for those who don't know, is a politics betting market I've made and lost a fair amount of money. I predict it more lost than made, was challenged by regulators. It's licensed to operate. Really, the, the letter that permits it to operate is likely to be revoked. I think, I, I think one critique that has emerged in the middle of this dispute is that prediction markets are sort of unlicensed or unregulated gambling. What is the, what is the positive case that they're more than just like, you know, uh, uh, another venue for people to engage in the vice of gambling. Are they are, 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 are they any better than a slot at the casino? Sure. Unlike slots at the casino, prediction markets provide tremendous social value to everyone in the form of surfacing and aggregating opinions and giving society the best estimate it can make of difficult and controversial questions. Basically, you can think of it as like an algorithm for truth and really like the best one that we as a society have come up with. So let's 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 dig just a little bit into that. Why what what makes you think that's true? Like let's imagine, you know, I don't know, you 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 and I in prediction market, we're betting on what Aaron is gonna have, whether or not Aaron is gonna have a sandwich for lunch tomorrow. What is the process by which we believe the prediction markets aren't just like people randomly guessing, but actively uncovering truth? What's the mechanism? Right. So the the basic argument you can give for why predictions are prediction markets are good is this sort of efficiency argument. So suppose, let's suppose that you, Charles, are way better than any prediction market in existence. Everyone knows that everything that you say when you talk about politics is going to come true, and all these other market mechanisms are no good. So suppose we live in that This world. is true, by the way. Yeah, this is the world we live in, but continue. Since, since I am your guest, it's, it's definitely true. But if we were living in this world, and if there were enough money to be made on prediction markets, 
eventually, you know, an, an arbitrageur would step in and start bidding up the markets to reflect Charles's own beliefs and thereby make a huge amount of money for free because he knows that Charles Charles's opinions are completely correct. And what that does is that means that the, the market prices now are the best reflection of social reality. So if it really were true that there were any, any other alternate epistemic authority in society that could authoritatively tell us what was going to happen, eventually people driven purely by the profit motive will come and speculate into markets such that all of that information will be efficient, efficiently represented there and such that there's no longer any difference. And that's, so, that's the, the basic argument of why, why you should care about prediction markets right. and markets in general. Right. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the Hayekian information theory, right? The next question I think a lot of people have is, all right, yeah, but you know, plenty of markets don't actually work the way they're supposed to, you know, in theory in the real world. So what's the evidence that these prediction markets actually have a good track record and presumably a kind of a better track record than alternative institutions of predicting reality? Right. So one, so one way you can measure how good different epistemic authorities are, and prediction markets are one of those, is by calculating something like what's called a calibration graph. So if you say, if I'm, I'm predicting that an event is likely to happen 30% of the time, when I make that prediction, if you look through all of my previous predictions, what you should see is about 30% of the time they do happen and about 70% of the time they don't happen. So you can actually compute this graph, or if you're if you're comparing people who have made well-defined crystallized predictions over time, you can compare compare how well they do by plotting plotting the different points along the graph and seeing how far they deviate from the nice 45 degree line. You know, so in practice, there are people, some people are consistently better at predicting than other people. Phil Tetlock is known for talking about super forecasters, who are people who have put their reputations on the line by building up a rigorous track record of predicting controversial events. I would also say more importantly that the market actually has to determine who the best predictors are. And those are often like hedge fund managers or firm, firms whose job it is to go out into the market and speculate on asset prices. That gives us a more objective ranking of who is good at predicting the large and impactful questions. And just, 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 just for context for our listeners, Phil Tetlock, I alluded to too, and I think it's relevant to the conversation, is a, is a, a political scientist, a writer on political science. Most relevant, he, relevantly, he wrote a book called Expert Political Judgment, the thesis of which is that quote unquote professional expert, quote unquote experts, professional experts do not actually have much better predictive track record than like the average guy pulled out of the phone book. Well, right. Well, so so I wanted to hone in on kind of a, a what seems to be an implied premise of these markets, which is that there are kind of clearly defined and measurable events, right? Like it seems like you know you you know if you predict what kind of sandwich I'm going to have tomorrow, right? It's pretty easy to falsify that one, right? Either I have that sandwich or I don't. I could imagine someone trying to apply predictive markets to questions about, say, social stability. And unless that question were, I think, defined in a very narrow way, like, you know, X number of race riots defined by this or that criteria a year, right? Like, unless you, you know, really had a very specific you know, variable you were measuring, it would be, I could, I could imagine this not working as well, because there'd be all sorts of like, well, did they really predict, you know, like the added instability? How do you measure instability, right? It, I mean, it seems like this is kind of founded by what you can measure in a in a kind of relatively uncontroversial, legible way. Right. I yeah, I would say the first challenge when creating the prediction markets is operationalizing a question well, taking something very muddy, complicated state of affairs that people care about in the real world and turning it into into a more rigorous prediction. Interestingly, and to plug my own platform, we have user resolve markets, which means that the users users can create a question and resolve it however they choose, which opens up the possibility for subjectively resolved markets, like, would I like this movie? In this case, markets can be efficient just because they are predicting how you or whoever the judge or resolver is will predict the outcome of that market. Um, but if you don't trust the judge to do a good job or you think they're biased, then the, the markets may be efficiently priced with respect to how they will choose, but may not provide the information that you care about when you are attempting to forecast in the first first place. So let's let's talk a little bit about I guess some of the some of the constraints. One is that lots of prediction markets have run into trouble when they've tried to use 
either real money or things that are regulated like commodities, but also are kind of money, which is to say cryptocurrency. If you can talk about sort of the challenges there, I know you you have a particular approach to getting around it, why you think that's a valid approach, just sort of thinking about actualizing this model into the real world. Yeah. So regulation is a huge challenge for all prediction market companies. The CFTC, which I believe stands for like the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, something like that. They're the That's U.S. Right. body and de facto global body, which regulates prediction markets. And they have very strict standards for determining whether a prediction market is is allowed. And they're they have a, a a very narrow interpretation of, I believe, like an economic hedging standard. Their view is that prediction markets should be used for hedging purposes by other financial institutions. And that's the main way that they can be of value to society. And that other other ways that, that prediction markets could provide value are just not included under that standard. And they interpret so, that so, standard. Sorry, so, so, so a prediction market is like meaning just like a futures market. Well, so as particular cost, so the regulators, are, the CFTC's uh, regulatory power comes from the fact that they can regulate binary options. Prediction markets are often treated as a binary option because for a given question, like will Biden run for the, the upcoming presidential election, that either does happen or it doesn't happen. There are two outcomes to that contract. That is a, a, bin, a binary derivatives contract. And that's, that's the purview that that falls under from a regulatory perspective. Gotcha. Sorry. So you were saying about about regulatory challenges. Yeah. So the the big problem is just that the the CFTC is extremely conservative in the the types of applications for prediction markets that they'll allow. And it was only up until you know last couple of years where they finally given full regulatory approval to Calshi, which is a, a different firm. And even they are subject to you know, very onerous regulatory demands. And in practice, you know, like these, I think, or like these intense, you know, regulations really have made it very difficult for firms to operate in this field. And this is the reason why you don't see any huge, large public prediction market firms in the world to this day. And 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 could you, I mean, we don't need to get into the details of the regulations because we that's <laughs> probably beyond the purview, right? And and people be bored. But could you maybe steelman the case for regulating these things harshly, mm. right? Because I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, well, maybe it's just that they're like evil and they hate freedom. But like, I'm sure that they have some <laughs> argument for like why they want to regulate it and make it really hard to to start these things. Right. So their argument is that you know prediction market or prediction markets can be used to facilitate gambling. Gambling isn't that great from a societal perspective to encourage. And that they're the most valuable use cases for society to encourage are ones that allow financial institutions to hedge pre-existing risks. So we should just focus focus on that um, and allow only those types of things and not allow anything which could lead to gambling, which is like psychologically harmful and bad for people. That's kind of their their reasoning. And it's not totally unreasonable. Right. It's just that the the benefits to society would be gigantic. And they're only considering the costs. Right. So, I mean, it, I mean, it seems like it's not clear that there's any reason in principle why there couldn't be like a prediction market gambling addiction that wrecks havoc on someone's lives. But the difference is that, you know, a few people might lose all their life savings, you know, trying to predict whether DeSantis or Trump will be like the nominee. But, you know, if, if you if you normalize these kinds of things, right, the 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 presumably some of the information we get will be extremely valuable and actually like increase utility to the point that just the costs of any one, you know, poor gambling addicted guy will just seem insignificant, right? I think yeah, that's right. kind of the, the philosophical argument. Yeah, it's similar to the stock market. You know, there, you know, day traders can go broke, people can lose their life savings trading in very stupid ways, but the values that society gains from being able to efficiently allocate capital across com companies just like vastly outweighs that. And even allows you to, you know, given the gains that you get from that, allows you to subsidize and create programs for people who are affected by it, since that is relatively small cost compared to the huge gains that are produced overall. So you guys, just 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 to just talk a little bit about, because I'm, I'm interested in one of the limits of your of, of manifold, you talked about Calshi, which is a which is a money prediction market. They seem to have the go ahead. You have violated to sort of play money and you do it with you do it with tokens, right? We have our own play currency called Manifold Dollars or Mana for short. Right. So, 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 are you worried about the lack of incentive there? The lack of like monetary incentive? 
you know, one of the one of the nice things that predicted back in the Halcyon days predicted is that if I thought everyone else was wrong about a political prediction, I could go make money on it. If I'm only if I'm only working with play currency, doesn't that blunt the effectiveness of the of the knowledge discovery process? Yeah. So cer- certainly there are some trade-offs that come with using play money over real money. But I think people actually underrate the importance and the 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 ability of play money to work. And the the basic the basic reason or and the the basic vision behind our platform is that we are turning prediction markets into like a social game, you know. And what we've seen from other digital you know play money economies like World of Warcraft and Roblox and these other things is that people can become extremely invested in the world of a game to the point where the the things that they're doing have real world economic impacts. You know, people are the value of World of Warcraft money is. Yeah. You know, worth millions in real real dollars. Online. Yeah. But basically once you once you turn you take something and you turn it into a competitive social game where people are invested because they want to use it with their friends, they want to show off their relative, you know, predicting prowess, whatever, then that means that you can then have a real that there there does become a true incentive for people to participate in these markets and to to correct the prices so, within them. So so just to make sure I, I have the, this clear. So the, okay, so the, the kind of game dynamic is maybe one positive reason for using play money, but is, is the main reason that you're using play money rather than real money, is that regulatory or like, like why is that, why exactly are you using play money? What? Right. So it, it isn't part that effect. The, I would say the other one is, you know, as an early stage startup, the nice thing about play money is that it, it makes the experience completely, completely frictionless for, for new users. You know, I can send my, my friends a link to Manifold Markets. They can immediately sign up. We give them some amount of free money to start and they can start betting. And that process is entirely frictionless and fast and painless and easy, which if you're an early stage company is a wonderful thing because it allows you to, you know, get, get that exponential trajectory going. And that, that seems to make it somewhat democratic if you're giving everyone a bit of free money to start because theoretically if someone's just like a genius right at, at prediction you know presumably they can like do very well and make a lot of money relatively quickly right yeah yeah i think yeah. the the market the market mechanism works so even yeah. it, even if you start off with a you know an incorrect allocation in terms of giving it according to people's like predicting ability you know over time the people who are better at predicting will accumulate right. more more play money, and that will allow them to influence the markets more. The markets will become more efficient, et cetera. So it is it, it, the market mechanism really does gen- guarantee this virtuous cycle. So I want to talk just a little bit about one of the underlying premises that we've alluded to. I'm really going to ask you to recapitulate Tedlog a little bit. But I, I, you know, I, I, I do think a lot of people who are excited about prediction markets are excited because they think there's a mismatch between who's credentialed as knowledgeable and who's actually knowledgeable, right? This is the, we will live to this idea of super forecasters, people who are really good at predicting the future. Do you think that that's, that that criticism of, you know, the, the sort of current arrangement of knowledge is an accurate one? And if so, do you think, is, is there a persuasive case that prediction markets are a good solution to this problem? I think, well, yes and yes. You know, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I, I do think the reason the, the the reason why so much like punditry and, you know, I don't know, just a general political and social commentary is so bad is because people's incentives aren't properly aligned. You know, as a pundit or an institution, your your main goal actually is to just like rile people up and to get as many like clicks and retweets as you can, which is actually a very, di- very different from being correct. And the nice thing about prediction markets is that they literally reward you for being correct. So people who are correct in an unflashy and unglamorous and non-clickbaity way can do much better than their more credentialed and established counterparts. You know, when you put, you know, make people, you know, pony up and put their money where their mouth is, then, you know, you can just generate more, more accurate results. We on this show are hostile to credentialism in all of its many evil forms. Yeah. I mean, what, one thing that's interesting, I just want to tease out is that this in many ways is like, you know, you hear the metaphor marketplace of ideas and people say, oh, it's a metaphor. This is essentially making that real or something very close to it, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I mean, so, so, but so I think that also raises, well, but so I think that also raises some interesting questions, right? Because, because in other contexts, right? 
the marketplace of ideas when it comes to sort of moral or political questions, people often say that either this is just like a, a question begging ontological device where you just sort of define truth as the output of the market. So it doesn't actually tell you anything. Or they argue that if you have some sort of objective criterion for truth, again, this is truth about sort of deeper, you know, usually political philosophical matters that, you know, then it's not at all obvious that the sort of so-called marketplace ideas, free, free speech, et cetera, leads you to those, those truths. So I guess I'm curious, sort of A, to what extent do you think prediction markets are or are not like kind of that broader marketplace of ideas and B, sort of, you know, what explains the difference? Because I, I think, I think a lot of the people who like prediction markets also, including, you know, us and probably including our friend and I think your friend, Richard Anania, we like prediction markets or intuitively we do, but we hate people who go on and on about the marketplace of ideas. And I think that is an interesting tension. I see. So I, I would say that in general, prediction, prediction markets are one piece of that puzzle. You know, prediction markets are designed to do exactly what they say they do, which is give you a market price, which is a reflection of how people think this market will be resolved. You know, mm -hmm. markets are resolved by people, depending upon, you know, how your people's different like juridical philosophies or whatever, the way they resolve it or not may not be a useful thing. For obvious questions where it's clear to everyone whether a thing has happened or not, prediction markets tend to be the most most valuable to society. When when a question becomes murkier or vaguer, getting, you know, the probability that, you know, the judge will choose a given outcome or not mm -hmm. is just less, less valuable. Like, for instance, or like, if the, the question were like, is the, will the economy be good in 2022? That is not a good question. You could create a prediction market on it, and you could have a relatively efficient price relative to whoever is resolving that market. And based on what their political bent is or whatever, you could come up with a reasonable estimate, but the outcome of that market is just not going to be very helpful. So prediction markets are really are a wonderful tool that addresses this very narrow use case. Part of the, you know, functions of, or one of the functions of intellectuals in society is not just to like make predictions and keep score and codify, but also to come up with, you know, different ideas and different directions for societies to move in. And pr prediction, prediction markets like can't supplant all of that. They're not, you know, it, it's just a narrower, more specific mechanism. Yeah. Well, so, so one, one other possible objection I think someone might have kind of based on what you just said is, okay, look, yeah, prediction markets are great for the X kind of questions and bad for Y kind of questions. Okay, sure. You know, in theory, it's, it's all well and good to say, we just do the prediction markets for what they're good at, and we just don't apply them to stupid questions like, is the economy going to be good? One, one thing though, that I think could happen or someone might think could happen is if you rely more and more on prediction markets and those become kind of a tool that say governments use, right? If, if we succeed in normalizing these as a tool of public policy, that that will then kind of create a, a, a both sort of material incentives and also just kind of a uh, almost bureaucratic inertia that will encourage us to just adjudicate more and more questions through these things, right? And so, it, yes, you can say in theory, you know, there's this great divide, but you might think, well, but is this going to either encourage sort of us to try to expand the markets to where they aren't going to belong precisely because there's a profit motive always. And then B, like, even if we don't do that, you might just think that we will, that the more these are normalized, the more people will kind of want to duck some of those like deep philosophical questions and just try to like frame all of our social disputes as technocratic debates that are you know, amenable to prediction markets. And someone might say, yeah, but like that, that's going to ultimately lead to a kind of, you know, technocratic dystopia, right? Like what, what's your response to those, those worries? Question mark. <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't necessarily say... agree with that. I'm just one might. Okay. Say, yeah. You know, are you creating a, a creating dystopia? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> Do you support technocratic dystopias? So uh, yes, no, I would say, <laughs> I would say on the margins, we as a society would definitely benefit from people being more concerned about concretely whether things will happen or not happen. I think, or like psych psychologically as people, it's much easier to be invested in like ideological stories 
I don't think it takes any work to convince people to go along with that and spend a lot of time thinking in ideological terms and painting out different visions of utopia. It requires much more psychological effort to actually be grounded, um, to be able to, to be in a position to even make predictions about the future and to be able to measure those and see how well you're doing. So I definitely think as of, as of today and, you know, in 2022, we as a society definitely would be much better off if we did move in that direction. So I want to I want to sort of compare the the fair prediction markets to prior work. So and and actually I think prediction markets come up in I think it's James Sherwick. I don't remember the the, the wisdom of crowds. Like twenty years ago, we were all really gung ho about Wikipedia. Like Wikipedia was the next big thing. We were going to decentralize the concentration of knowledge. It was going to be awesome, and this democratic process was going to, on average, produce more true outcomes uh, than than the sort of old model. Today, as it turns out, Wikipedia is edited by like a fairly restricted cadre of people who have political leanings that I disagree with. And the way that you can tell this is that you can read any article on Wikipedia about a conservative figure or is- issue. They're all quite bad. I-, I I challenge the readers to pause the podcast and go do this. So, you know, I think I... I, I think there are a couple of reasons why you can imagine this not happening to prediction markets, most notably the the profit motive. But are you worried about, you know, the 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 sort of level of optimism around this approach to knowledge recovery, d- discovery, given that prior methods of knowledge discovery about which people have been generally gung ho often have unintended consequences? How concerned about those unintended consequences are you, or do you think those are unmerited? So I, I would say, or in response to like the to the political bias thing, if you're if prediction markets were widely adopted on a large societal perspective, like the the most important question there would be who who gets to ask the high prestige questions? You know, if you can ask the high prestige questions in that way, you can shape society, etc. So that that you know, there there always is going to be a political angle to all of these things, and that's not necessarily a problem with prediction markets as a mechanism in themselves because they are just a tool. But if you, you know, all of your questions, you know, questions are about one thing, then, you know, that that will lead society to care about and optimize for that over other things. What, what was the uh, what was the other the, part of the, the question? The, the, that, the question is how how worried you are about unintended consequences. So that's one wow. example is, you know, if, if as, as Aaron was alluding to. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you if you flow in a certain direction, these have, they have a great deal of power, then they can be seized and misused. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the the other way that prediction markets can influence things is is more directly. You know, once people are betting betting on markets and market participants have the power to shape outcomes, then that can actually change. You know, the the underlying reality itself. We actually see this right. internally. So we we use prediction markets at Manifold to make a lot of our decisions. You know, and we we actually see this effect. So if if someone, let's say, I've created a market on whether I will implement this new feature or whether whether this feature that I implement will be good or whatever. If I have a very strong position one way or another, that actually will influence like how I want to prioritize my word. Maybe I want to put this you know feature ahead of the queue and make sure it gets done so I can get my rewards. Or if I bet against it, maybe I want to do like less good of a job here because I'm betting against it and so forth. So those those considerations really do come come into play. I would say one one ob- obvious example and potential shortcoming of prediction markets that appears repeatedly in organizational settings is that you know I'll, you know one of the first questions that managers want to ask is like will the project be a success or will it be completed on time and usually if you want to ask this question oftentimes the answer is like no or it's like a very low percentage chance but but if if you were to have a prediction market on the success of the you know various projects and the the display probability is very low, the market price is like 20%, then the fact of you having that and it being publicly available actually could be demoralizing to you and your company. And that in turn could make the true probability fall more than it would otherwise if you didn't have the prediction market. So there are actually many real world cases where there's an actual cost of information where it actually does cost something to have you know a market price which is publicly visible. Yeah, I mean, another... There another, I, this is perhaps a little more far-fetched, but like, you know, I, there have been controversial cases where people were betting on whether terrorist attacks were, would happen. I believe that's, that, that's happened. And one could imagine, you know, 
say like a bunch say initially there's no terrorist attack planned for like whatever the day is and then but for whatever reason people get spooked and they start predicting that the terrorist attack is going to happen on that day and you could imagine like al-qaeda or whoever sitting there and being like "Ooh, you know what if we made the prophecy come true wouldn't that like really freak them out and then they like deliberately have the attack on that day and it has some kind of like crazy psychological effect i, I mean i don't know that that's probably not super realistic given the way terrorist attacks work but you know, more broadly, you could, like, you could efficiently put a bounty on something. If I was like the 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 market resolved, yes. If on uh, December thirty first, twenty twenty two, the the Pentagon is still standing, that's an incentive people have built it to know to go after the Pentagon. There's certainly margin for uh, that matters. Yeah, well, so I'm curious, sort of what what you, you make of those, but then also those kind of cases, and then also kind of the more maybe just deontological philosophical argument that. Regardless of what the actual outcomes are, there is just something kind of intrinsically gross about betting and profiting off of terrorist attacks. Mm. Yeah, so I, so certainly, I, I think certainly, if prediction markets were to be become very large and allow questions on these controversial topics, you know, I could definitely foresee a world in which you know, people could profit from doing evil deeds. I'll say this is not just, I would say this this happens already, you know. So prior to 9-11, a bunch of people shorted airline stocks. People were tipped off beforehand and they were able to profit from the the ensuing, you know, catastrophe. So th this is a thing which is cap already capable, you know, of happening within you know, traditional asset markets. Prediction markets would only just add an additional asset class that people could access. So on the on the margins, it's not you know that big of a change, but yes, bad bad things can happen if there are markets involved. I'm against people them. Can profit from those bad things. I oppose bad things <laughs> personally. I'm I'm a, I'm a strong opponent of bad things, strong supporter of good things. This is long been my line. Let me let me take this in a little different direction because I'm I I want to circle this this concept of epistocracy. It does. Let, let, let's imagine tomorrow. I don't know Joe Rogan and also whoever the left-wing equivalent of Joe Rogan is, endorse manifold markets and everyone gets on manifold and they're all using it all the time. Widespread adoption of prediction markets would have, I think, a dramatic impact on the credibility of current experts. If Ted Locke is correct, I think he probably is. What do you foresee as the impact of, of uh, yeah, I guess, what, what, what do you see as, the, as, as, as the, the impact on our current systems of validating expertise? Can we destroy the university with these things? Because that would be a plus. I don't know about prediction markets being quite that useful, but I would say on the margins, they would allow us to identify pundits and other people who have a sol solid objective track records and would elevate their voices relative to people who had worse ones. I would say that's only only on the margins, though. You know, the you know the other the other thing you can say is that people have a fundamental desire to be entertained which is different from their fundamental desire to know the future, you know, and both things are real. And even in a world where you are getting relatively better and more accurate predictions, you know, that doesn't necessarily change the entertainment value that other pundits are providing. So I can all, you could also see a world where things wouldn't change too much. Well, the other thing is that it seems like people's pundit preferences are sticky, right? Like, like if somebody gets something massively egregiously wrong or even lies publicly and is caught in the, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom Brokaw resurrected his career do we, do we think that more information will overcome that bias or do we just sort of expect that like people will continue to defer to stupid but entertaining smart seeming people i well i think on the margins it will it will help move society to care more about accuracy you know but it's it's difficult to say how Hopefully. how far and it how how far that would go i'll have to think of a good way to operationalize well, this and create a prediction market <laughs> <laughs> another 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 thing it could do that that might be a more solid well it could have pros and cons but but you know one of the the perennial complaints people have about american culture is that it's too presentist and that we don't care enough about the future it's it's a bit of a lazy hand wavy argument but there's probably some truth to it and this seems like it just just by its very nature right especially if you make it into a source of entertainment would encourage us not just to care more about accuracy but to think about the future and could perhaps change people's orientations and, and make them just more future-oriented and thinking through what will happen in the future. And, you know, there's a version of this that sounds great where you think, oh, well, you know, that's good because it'll maybe increase people's time horizons. And then, you know, they'll like 
care more about, I don't know, climate change or the risk of pandemics or some other thing that we should probably care more about. You know, you could also imagine it perhaps almost going too far and then creating a society that's almost slow, so worried about the future that it that it kind of forgets certain elements of the present. I don't, I don't know how that cashes out, but I'm just curious what you think, like the the kind of more amorphous cultural effects of the institutionalization of predictive markets might be. Mm. From my perspective, I think the the most important aspect of you know prediction markets on a psychological level is just allowing uh, individuals to or like getting individuals to crystallize their beliefs more. You know, a lot of times prediction markets encourage this very good epistemic practice about being very clear what you think will or won't happen versus thinking like, oh yeah, I, I totally knew that the Ukraine invasion would happen. But at the time you're like, oh, it might happen, it might not happen. If you're if you're uh, an active participant participant in the markets, it will really force you to clarify exactly what you think, and it'll help you keep yourself honest. And I, I think that aspect of mm. them is is very very positive. This is also the 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 rationalist tick of assigning probabilities to to their claims, which I've always found kind of suspect because it's unfalsifiable, right? Like like if I say to you, I'm I'm 37% certain that this thing is going to happen. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. So, so the degree of certainty is ultimately irrelevant to, to whether or not I'm correct. Correct. But, you know, you can, you know, look at your calibration graph when, you know, you can compare it to other times that you said it was 37% likely to happen and see if like on the whole, you're doing a good job of predicting things that are 37% likely. So I want to, I want to sort of, we're, I, I think we move to closing thoughts in a minute, but I guess I want to ask for, I don't know, a little sort of normativity. What, what do you think is the application of prediction markets that does not currently exist? That is sort of most far from the current usage that you would like to see happen? How, uh, how are we at least thinking about using prediction markets that we should be using them? Ah, so one of the unique features of our site is that users can create their own prediction markets on any topic that they care about. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, using prediction markets for broader political and economic forecasting, but you can also use prediction markets as a tool for your own personal predictions, for things that you personally care about that you want to bet on with your friends, and it will act, help you get advice about that. So some examples would be like, like, will my friend get married this year? Will, will they successfully have a child? Which book will I read next? Etc. So prediction markets don't have to be this highfalutin thing that only matters to pundits. They can actually be a fun, a fun and useful thing for you personally. We have a we have a, Stephen, <laughs> a mutual friend who is discussing making a prediction market based on 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 when her when her child would walk. <laughs> oh, it's great. I yeah, could I could also uh, imagine some fun ones like about when so and so will pose to such and such girlfriend or whatever, which forces it right. Yeah, you have yeah the, yeah you, yeah you have the girlfriend being like. I gotta, yeah. I gotta resolve the market. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I think we, I think we actually had a market on that. What is the, what, like is the most, <laughs> what is the most absurd market that you've had? Oh, this is a, an excellent question, I, and I, I have an answer for you. It, it's like conditional upon there being hundreds of clones of John von Neumann. What percentage of them would identify as LGBT at age twenty? <laughs> <laughs> That's not resolved. <laughs> Well, you know, it'll just take a long time. <laughs> you know, if manifold, uh, person, if manifold IPOs, you know, I'm definitely paying for like the womb tanks or whatever to incubate hundreds <laughs> of clones. Before, before we go to closing thoughts, I mean, the, the, obviously the most sort of, you know, well-known application of these things is, is betting on whether it will be Trump or DeSantis or bet, and betting on, for that matter, who will take back the White House in, in 2024. Based on your reading of the market, you're the prediction expert. Uh, what's what's the market telling you right now? What, what what are you betting on? Ooh, I actually haven't looked at the 2024 elections all that recently. He's gonna. I'm. 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 You can. Yeah. I, I don't have. I don't have any. I don't have any edge here. You can like look at my website too and see what our what our numbers say. <laughs> There's only a 61 percent chance that either Joe Biden or Donald Trump will be elected president in 2024. The Donald Trump. There's a 10% chance that Donald Trump will be the president of the United States by September 11th, 2022. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's an interesting story there. That's one of our, our troll users who has lost a lot of money continuously bidding, bidding that market up. I'm on the other side. <laughs> do you, do you, um, actually, this is a really funny story that actually is kind of kind of related to this. Do you guys, you guys all remember there was a certain guy at our alma mater 
who, when yeah. Donald Trump was running, oh, yeah. bet all these people that Trump would win in 2016. And everyone thought he was really stupid. And then Trump won. And this guy, he was like kind of, I mean, he was very outspoken <laughs> about his support for Trump in a way that sort of rubbed people the wrong way. But it was, it was funny because he made all these bets. And so all these people who were annoyed with him were like, yeah, come on, you know, I'll bet you like, you know, hundreds of dollars. And then Trump won. And then he made like thousands of dollars from these bets. Right, and it great. was really, really, really funny. <laughs> so it's also it's um, also just a source of humor when the underdog right. when the underdog wins. <laughs> on on that note, Aaron, what are your what are your what's your take? Are you a convert? What's your takeaway? You know, I I'm torn. I, I still do think that there's these kind of weird dystopian possibilities that I take seriously, but to, to, to be a little, to, to put in a, maybe a good word for it, one, one thought that occurs to me, you know, with my marketplace of ideas metaphors, it prediction markets are very consistent with sort of classical liberalism, right? For one, they're a market. For another, they're kind of built on this democratic premise that we all have kind of rational faculties that, and we all are entitled to participate in the public sphere. You know, it, 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 in many ways, you can see this as a, a, a more kind of full realization of both liberal and democratic ideas than kind of the current dictatorship by experts that we have in a lot of areas of our society. So, you know, although I think some of the people interested in prediction markets often are associated with these kind of like, you know, hard right, like almost, you know, anti-democratic libertarian tendencies, that's kind of a stereotype. But, but, you know, there's a, if you actually just look at what these things are and the, the premises that, that underlie them and the kind of normative case for them, they seem perfectly consistent to me with like, you know, kind of normie liberalism, right? The, the, the normie good old fashioned liberalism that's supposedly under attack, you know, from all quarters today. So I actually, you know, if this seems like a useful way of like bludgeoning the experts that we don't like without kind of like either alienating people or actually going overboard into like, you know, dark territory, right? Because, right, this is not like, you know, liquidate the the academics, right? And install like Curtis Yarvin as dictator. This is just let everyone just make predictions and, you know, trust the people's judgments like on more questions, right? It's actually, it's very hard to come up with like either a liberal or democratic argument against this. So, you know, to the extent that that makes it a kind of more, I think, politically and also just like, morally and pragmatically viable alternative to sort of expert dictatorship than some of the other ones on offer. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I, I'm convinced that there is some use for these. As a, I'm just a humble proponent of dystopian technocracy. So I don't take a stand <laughs> on the direction prediction markets should be used for. Um, I support everyone using prediction markets. Yeah. So, Hey, I'll, I'll, Say that your present 2024 market thinks that Ron DeSantis has the highest chance at 32%, which I think is wrong. So I'm going to have to sign up for Manifold and go bet on that. Seems, it seems, it seems um, wrong, but I hope it's true. Anyway, good, this good is luck with free, that. free alpha for all of the viewers of this podcast. Yeah, I guess. Although they'll probably <laughs> be gone by the time you're listening to this, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get in early. No, so, so I mean, I think, yeah, right. I sort of walked in. I mean, I, I'm I'm the sort of person who makes bets on my intuitions all the time, maybe a little more than the average person. I have a friend who likes to bet me. She, she, she likes to have me bet her that things that she wants to happen won't happen. So that either the things that she wants to happen happen and she's happy and I get paid. Or the thing that she doesn't want to happen that she wants to have happen doesn't happen and she still gets paid, which is hedging. So I'm I'm perfectly comfortable with this metaphor. You know, I think I my my takeaway from prediction markets vis-a-vis what Steven has said is, you know, I think that they are a useful tool. I think I sort of walked in wondering if they'll ever spread beyond the kind of person who looks like me and thinks that this is a good use of their time, which I think they're right. But I, you know, right, I I I think the real barrier to adoption is is most people don't think about derivatives. Most people don't think of futures trading. And you're always going to have a problem with the generalizability. Most people are not are not going to be intuitively. And then this is a problem because of Aaron's point, like this is a problem with liberalism and democracy more generally is, is, you know, how engaged can the poly actually be expected to be on on any question, particularly questions of import. On that cheery note, why don't why don't we do some recommendations? Aaron, do you have a recommendation for listeners? 
Yeah, so I'm only 100 pages through this book, but it's already really gripping. It's a novel called Middlesex. I won't spoil it too much, and I don't. I can't even spoil it because I'm only 100 pages through. But but already the the interesting theme in it is kind of the 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 question of how much of our lives is determined by kind of hard genetic constraints and and sort of or alternatively kind of fate, destiny, what have you, and what amount is kind of contingent and chance. And I think the book does a good job of showing of, of highlighting how hard it can be to tease these two things apart i thought that that thematically was sort of you know consonant with what we've been discussing i wish i could give you a recommendation that was more social scientific or academic but i'm not i'm not smart about economics or prediction so i'll have to leave that to our to our guests to our guest my two my two plugs for the week, a Phil Tetlock's book on actual political judgment, out of the book, which I think is, you know, a useful study, which 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 makes the point that I think a lot of people believe intuitively, which is that expert judgment, quote unquote expert judgment is often suspect. I'm also in the middle of Brian Burr's Days of Rage, totally orthogonal with the conversation, but a great book on the oft forgotten history of radicalism and terrorism in the nineteen seventies. Highly recommend it to our listeners, Stephen. Do you have recommendations for listeners? Sure. First of all, you should sign up at Manifold.Markets and create your own prediction market on whatever topic you care about. Then I guess if you're interested in learning more about prediction markets and forecasting in general, I would recommend subscribing to the blogger Scott Alexander's Substack, which is Astral Codex 10, and in particular, reading his Mantic Mondays, uh, which gives his coverage of prediction markets. And if you're interested in forecasting more generally, I would recommend subscribing to Nuno Semperi's forecasting newsletter, which is also on Substack. Great. Well, thank you, Stephen, for, for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. This was great. And thank you, as always, to our producers at Nebulous. Folks, if you have questions, comments, concerns, predictions that you'd like to send our way, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Charles F. Lehman. Aaron is at Aaron Siberium. I think that's about all the time that we have. So until next time, I'm Charles Van Lehman. I'm Aaron Sparian. And you've been listening to Institutionalized. Hope you'll join us again soon.